Support for Rewrite Radio comes from the Fetzer Institute, helping build the spiritual foundation for a loving world. Fetzer envisions a world that embraces love as a guiding principle and animating force for our lives. A powerful love that helps us live in sacred relationship with ourselves, others, and the natural world. Learn more by visiting Fetzer.org. The Lasting Effect of Friendship Across the Generations Lucy Shaw remembers Madeline LaEngle with Madeline's Granddaughters on this episode of Rewrite Radio. This is Rewrite Radio, a podcast from This is Rewrite Radio. This is Rewrite Radio. Thank you all for coming. It's what makes us more human because it connects us. Just look. Look at this world. A podcast from the Festival of Faith and Writing. I'm Aleel Cunningham, and I teach in the English department at Calvin College. As an editor, mentor, and friend, Lucy Shaw has enjoyed deep creative partnerships with many writers, perhaps none so special as her relationship with the late Madeleine L'Engle. Despite differences, the two animated each other's work in important ways. They co-authored three books, Winter Song, Friends for the Journey, and a prayer book for spiritual friends. And Lucy suggested and then edited Madeline's seminal treatise on faith and writing, Walking on Water. Madeline's granddaughters, Charlotte Jones Voikles and Lena Roy, have known Lucy for years as a close friend of their family. Here they interview her about the role of community in the life of a writer and what it takes to forge and sustain friends for the long haul. Lucy Shaw is a prolific poet and essayist. Her latest book of verse is Sea Glass, New and Collected Poems, and her latest prose nonfiction book is Thumbprints in the Clay, Divine Marks of Beauty, Order, and Grace. Shaw's other titles include Accompanied by Angels, God in the Dark, and Polishing the Petoskey Stone. Her work has been widely anthologized. The co-founder of Harold Shaw Publishers, later becoming its president, Shaw is also poetry editor and a contributing editor of Radix and poetry and fiction editor of Crux, an academic journal published quarterly by Regent College. Born in London, England, Shaw has lived in Australia, the United States, and Canada, where Regent College named her its writer-in-residence in 1988. She graduated from Wheaton College and has lectured throughout North America on art and spirituality, journaling, poetry, and the Christian imagination. Lena Roy and Charlotte Jones Voikles are granddaughters of Madeline LaEngle and authors together of the biography Becoming Madeline, a biography of the author of A Wrinkle in Time by her granddaughters. Roy runs branches of Vitopia Lab, a nonprofit whose mission is to instill joy, literacy, and critical thinking through creative writing to all kids and teens. Jones Voikles acts as the literary executor of the Lingle estate. She also handles Lingle's online presence, including the daunting task of tweeting to Madeline's fans. From 2018, Lucy Shaw speaking about friendship with Lena Roy and Charlotte Jones Voikles. Let's start the questioning. Yeah, we're going to not give too much background um, because I'm sure so many background stories are going to come out of this. Um, 
but wanted to start just by asking you how you met Madeline Lingle. I met Madeline Lingle at Wheaton College, where we were both speakers at a language and literature conference. Um, I had heard of her, of course, but I hadn't met her until then, but we instantly bonded. <laughs> it was like, okay, she loves to play Bach. I love to play Bach. Um, she, she loves the, the color green. I love the color green. It was like, okay. And then I she told me um, after the conference was over that a book of her poetry um, had, it was called Lines Scribbled on an Envelope. And it had just gone out of print. And my husband, Harold, and I had just, you know, we had a, a young uh, and flourish, flourishing uh, book publishing business at that point. And I said, would you like us to reprint your poems? She was thrilled. So we did two books of her poems. One was called The Weather of the Heart, and one was called A Cry Like a Bell, I think. Anyway, so once we got on good terms with Madeline, it wasn't hard. Oh, and by the way, this was the, that was the first time I heard about uh, Lena, because Lena had evidently been in a bad car accident, and Madeline was very worried about you, and she was feeling bad that she, there she was in Wheaton, and you were back there in, uh, in the, on the East Coast, uh, badly injured. So uh, we went to, uh, at Wheaton, I don't know if any of you know the Wheaton campus, we went to a place called the Lagoon, which um, is, is a lovely, quiet place, uh, sort of like a park, and we sat on a bench, and we prayed for Lena. And here she is. <laughs> so that was, uh, that was the beginning. And um, once those two books of poetry had been republished, I asked Madeline, and of course I'd been reading her work, uh, I asked her to write a book about her faith and art and how the two are companions and help each other. You know, faith helps our art and art helps our faith. And so she wrote this, um, she spent about six or eight months writing this and she handed me this big uh, sort of typescript. You know, we didn't, it wasn't computers in those days. Everything was typed out by hand. And she said, here, take this, it has no shape. <laughs> so um, I was challenged. <laughs> Just what every editor wants to hear, right? <laughs> yeah. And um, so I, I didn't realize that, that the first time you met her was the same year that Lena was in that accident. July 77. So, yeah. Really? And so that your sort of friendship was forged in prayer and in crisis. Exactly, yes. Uh, and, you know, that was sort of the way many of our lives were moving along anyway, in prayer and crisis. <laughs> um, so you're talking, and you were talking about walking on water and yes. the origin story of walking on water. Um, but in walking on water, she, she says, you asked her to write a book about being a Christian artist. And, yes. and she said, <laughs> what did she say? <laughs> <laughs> 
She said, I just want to write about uh, uh, I don't know. Do you know what she said? Well, I she can't said, remember well, what she said. My, my um, understanding is that she was very resistant to that idea because she wasn't a Christian artist, she said. She was an artist who was a Christian. Um, and that, and that, um, that was also part of the, your conversations um, and, and how you challenged each other as well. Can you talk a little bit about Yeah, about well, that? Madeline, you know, uh, was not backward about speaking her mind. And, <laughs> you know, she had, she had strong opinions, and I, I did too. So um, <laughs> we, uh, we did a lot of work together. Um, she was writing books for us. She wrote 11 books for our publisher, Harold Shaw Publishers, and I edited them. And that involved, you know, that whole process of working together on a work of art and faith, it just drew us together in a remarkable way. We came from very different backgrounds, as you know. I was from an extremely conservative evangelical background, and Madeline was from, you know, the New York uh, uh, Episcopalian sort of mindset. <laughs> That's a nice way of putting it. And uh, so working together, we, uh, we had to listen to each other and, we, and, and reach a consensus of some kind uh, as we were doing these, uh, making these books work. And um, very often, uh, Madeline would say something shocking in a manuscript, and I'd say, Madeline, you can't say that. People are gonna really be upset. She said, that's exactly why I'm saying it. <laughs> And she, had, she gave me this manuscript, and I was uh, puzzled as to how to shape it for her. She said it had no shape. Anyway, we, uh, I took various themes from the manuscript and laid out piles of paper all over my living room floor and sort of said, well, this could go first, and then we could put this. Yeah, and so we, I sort of reordered the whole thing, and. Uh, gave it back to her, and her husband, Hugh, who was a wonderful actor um, and, and a good critic, and he really liked it. So that gave her confidence, and so that was the beginning of our publishing relationship, publishing and writing, yeah. Well, I'm, I mean, I'm curious about your, and inspired also by your different points of view on faith and art, and especially in these polarizing times, I think this is such a wonderful example to explore and, and for you to give insight on, on how we talk to each other. So I just, I just wanted to know, because um, I'm sure you changed each other. I'm sure you... Um, you, you, you both had open hearts and willingness to discuss and willingness to come to a third new kind of thing. Can you speak about that? That's a wonderful way of putting it, Lena. We both had open hearts. I think we were both, both uh, very committed to finding, uh, finding things that were true, that stood the test of time, that, that were very elemental in our human lives, and that included, of course, what we believe to be true, what, what, uh, what, are the, 
what are the values in life that we want to focus on? And so we found that as we did, we did, you know, for years and years, we were working together to, do, to uh, sort of shape and express uh, what we believed uh, in Madeline's books. And we, we fought a lot. <laughs> um, we had these really quite contentious discussions um, about what was true. But in the end, we always came to, the, to a, a unified conclusion. And I remember one time we were uh, at a table in her dining room in New York City, uh, and at the end of our editing session, we both stood up spontaneously and sang the doxology. So, <laughs> and you know, it was that sort of, uh, I think we, we both affected each other in, in, the, in what we believe and what we, how we write. Madeline was a very good critic too. Um, she, uh, she, she, was, she wrote sonnets almost effortlessly. They would just flow out of her. So we had a good sense together of, of, of what poetry was about, what it was meant to be like. And I would hand her a new poem of mine and say, what do you think? And she'd say, cut out the last two lines. And she was so right. <laughs> So it was wonderful to have a friend who was a critic and uh, someone who, who we really loved each other. Uh, we were on different sides of the continent. She was on the East Coast and I was on the West Coast. So we had to sort of keep in, <clears throat> in touch by phone and letter. And uh, I did a lot of visiting back and forth and, and staying with Madeline at 924 <laughs> West End Avenue. And um, she, was, she had this m marvelous, um, what, what was, what's it called? It's, it's an apartment or? Apartment. Yes, yes, it was, you know, with uh, all kinds of family portraits and paintings and a beautiful piano. And um, we would, one of the things that we love to do um, uh, almost every day when I was there, we would walk from her apartment up Amsterdam Avenue to uh, the Cathedral of St. John the Divine and go to noon prayer there. And that was something... Uh, that was a holy, holy moment for both of us when we would just sit in silence for a while and just listen. And you could even hear, I wrote a poem about this, you could even hear the, the rain spitting on the, the stained glass window right next to us. And that time of silence was, was very holy. And then the priest would come in and lead, lead uh, noon prayer. And one time he came in wearing the wrong robe. <laughs> At least Madeline said it was the wrong robe. So I put that in the poem too. <laughs> Here, this is your water. I don't know if you. Oh, thank you. I sense that she might need a sip of something. Um, and and uh, so you met in '77, and she died in 2007. So that's however many years. I'm bad at math, and one of the things about 
my grandmother and friendship um, and also this interview is that chronology is not, doesn't mean all that much, I think. Um, and so, but that's a long time of friendship. Um, and I'm, so I wonder if it, how it ebbed and flowed and it's, I mean, it's almost like a, a, a marriage in some ways too, where perhaps you feel at one point close, at one point far, and how do you find your way back to each other when you realize that something needs some work? Yes, it had an ebb and flow to it, exactly. <clears throat> um, and between times, uh, you know, I was, I was a busy publisher. Um, I was the, uh, the pres vice president of our publishing company, and I was doing a lot of the editing and assigning books to be edited um, by some of our staff. So um, we both had extremely busy lives um, in our own uh, in our own circle. Um, one of the wonderful places that I, we, Madeline and I, would go was up to Crosswicks, which is her, was her home in Goshen, Connecticut. And Madeline didn't drive. She was able to drive. She had a driver's license, but no one ever wanted her to drive. <laughs> this is true, yes. <laughs> so so we, would, we would drive up from Manhattan up to uh, Goshen, and it's a, it's a fascinating drive. We go, one of the, we go through an old covered bridge along the way, and uh, her home, their home, her home, Crosswicks, um, was an ancient, not an ancient, but it was a, a beautiful old home, and it had been part of the Underground Railway, I believe, uh, for uh, slaves trying to reach a place of freedom, and they would be able to stay in, in this home called Crosswicks. So, yes, it's a, a beautiful yeah. old house. Yeah, it's right out in the country, and it's um, and that's where it's in Goshen, where Madeline and Hugh moved uh, at some point in their life, so that their children could be raised. I think in a more healthy atmosphere. I don't know. This is just my. It was the 1950s. It was the decade yes. of the 50s, and yeah. yes, that was the original impulse. <laughs> but then they 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 run they ran the the country store right there in Goshen and uh, her house is just a few blocks um, away from that intersection and she was also very active in the congregational church there and she called it the Congo Church and um, actually I believe after her death there's a, a, a was there is there um, I believe there's a a bench or some memorial marker uh, in the in the graveyard. You know what? I don't know if that's true or not. Actually, <laughs> um, do you? I have another question, but you look like yeah. You go have, ahead. Okay. <laughs> um, because I want to ask you about um, poetry, and uh, you had mentioned that Madeline could write sonnets. Off, that was her sort of preferred form and um, of poetry in many ways. And I remember her being so fed by a trip that you and she and um, your good friend Barbara Braver took to
to the British Isles. Um, and I'm wondering if that was very generative for her, and she wrote lots of sonnets that trip. And um, I wonder if you could say what that <coughs> trip. It was it was a very interesting trip. Madeline was speaking at a conference in Dublin um, on children's literature, and Catherine Patterson was there. And you know, it was a it was a, a wonderful opportunity for for us to go to Ireland, and then after the conference was over, uh, we rented a car and we drove uh, County, County Wicklow and some of the some of the places of interest. We went to Newgrange, which is one of the most ancient. Uh, um, it's, it's sort of like Stonehenge in the sense that it's arranged so that at uh, a certain time of year, the sun penetrates at a particular angle. And it was discovered when some farmers were plowing and they came upon these stones which they recognized as part of, part of a, a building and it was excavated. And we found that a profoundly uh, interesting and wonderful place to be. That, and sort of, sort of, a lot of the Celtic spirituality that um, is prevalent in Ireland and in, in Wales and Scotland. Uh, that was part, that was very um, profound and meaningful to us. You know, the, the love of the earth, the love of, the, of nature, the, um, the songs, the, the, the bardic songs that had come down um, over the centuries as, as a way of telling stories. And I think Madeline, was a kind of bard. Um, I know we would be driving along, and all of a sudden she would be, we'd notice she was silent. She wasn't saying anything. And I realized she'd had an idea <laughs> in her head, and she didn't want to disturb that idea until she had a moment to take out her notebook and actually jot it down. Um, we, we did a lot of that fun driving together. <laughs> um, yesterday morning, you described how ideas come to you, and you describe. I think you said it, there's like a bird flying in your face and then makes a nest in your mm -hmm. head, um, <laughs> which I thought was a lovely image. Um, and then you just described Madeline as sort of getting very quiet. Do you think you had different ways of nurturing the thoughts in, in your heads? or? There was, you know, there was this um, this sense that we didn't have to be talking all the time, and we could. Um, very often, when I would visit her at Crosswicks, you know, we would spend the morning just just writing. Then in the afternoon, we'd go out and sit on her deck. And at one point, she said, "I I was a great knitter, and I had my knitting there." And she said, is, do you have your knitting bag? Is your journal in there? Uh, and I said, yeah. So she proceeded to recite a poem that was just coming into her head. And I was able to write it down. It was about a cat um, that was caught in the mower as in a wheat harvesting field. And the, you know, the. The, the horror of the <clears throat> of the cat 
you know, being killed in that way. Um, so we wrote, we wrote that day down, and that's included <coughs> in um, the book of her poems, The Ordering of Love, which is a lo lovely collection of many of the works that she had, had published before, plus some new ones. Right, those sonnets that she wrote on the, on the road trip with you and Barbara yeah. are, are in that, yeah. Yeah, one of the things that joined Madeline and me in, um, in friendship was that both our husbands died in the same year, uh, both of them of cancer. And Madeline had this story that she and Hugh were on this <clears throat> freighter. They loved to travel the oceans on freighters <laughs> because they could just be on the own, their own and you know just go slowly and enjoy the wind and the weather i guess and the star the stars yes. at night yes right times of silence but anyway one day she had this strong strong sense that something had happened to my husband and here she was out in the middle of the Atlantic. And when she uh, was back on land, uh, we talked. And that was the day that my husband, Harold, had died. So she had this connection, this, this I don't know what you call it, emotional, spiritual connection um, that that we were close enough in our lives that <clears throat> the things that really mattered to us mattered to, mattered to the other one, the other friend, the other side of the friendship, yeah. So I had said um, earlier that sort of prayer and crisis brought you together and there were lots of moments like that in your friendship and, and one of them and I, I'm, a, I'm a big crier, folks, so if I cry when I talk about this, was the fact that you were able to be there with her when her son died. So yeah, if you yeah. talk about that a little bit. Yeah, Madeline has a son named Bayan, and he was a very gifted, uh, very intelligent guy, but he never really made much of a life for himself, and I think, <clears throat> I think it was painful for her to see Brian uh, not really developing his gifts. Um, he was a pretty, pretty, uh, pretty addicted to alcohol, and uh, he died because of liver function, failing liver function. And I was—he was in, in a in a what do they call it? Um, hospice in Torrington, um, near Goshen. And Madeline and Barbara and I were both with him the moment he died. And I think I was the last one <clears throat> to lift a straw to his lips so he could, um, she could have a sip of water. And you know what? He looked like Jesus. He looked as if Jesus had just died in that bed. And, you know, it was so hard for Madeline because she said, mothers shouldn't bury their sons. It was a moment of great disappointment and great, 
a, a, a real blow uh, that I don't know that she ever really got over. You know? Yeah, I don't think she really recovered from that. And I think one of the things that becomes more important to me as I get older um, is to is to talk about those those real moments of disappointment of of failure. I think with, when someone's beloved, um, they're not often not given permission mm. to change or grow or fail again themselves or um, so so talking about it <laughs> feels important important to me but also just in, in honor of the, the friendship that you that you two had um, just how many significant moments in each other's lives you were there for including you and John danced at my wedding Sorry? You and John danced at my wedding. That's right. So there were happy <laughs> occasions. Yes. When, oh, occasions I have to well. tell you, I have to tell you this. I was in uh, Madeline's living room when Charlotte and John showed up and said, we're going to get married. So I was there to hear that. <laughs> Just when Madeline heard it, so I felt like, oh boy, I really am part of this family. <laughs> and you know, it was such fun watching you and John. And then, uh, I didn't know your husband so well later, but <laughs> I remember your little boy when he was born, yeah. So there were so many, there were so many, there's so many things to share in a life. Um, and then also what we're doing right now is bringing her into the room with us, too. We're bringing, so um, I'm grateful for that. I'm very grateful for your deep friendship um, with Madeline, because I think, I think it was, I think it was um, hard for her to be intimate um, with people. So <coughs> I, can you, do you have insight yes, to that? so many people, um, you know, were worshipped her work. And wherever she went, and she would speak, and then do a book signing, you know, the people lined up around the block to get her to sign a book of theirs. And I remember her signing once for two hours straight, and her hand started to bleed. It was, and, but she wouldn't give up. She wouldn't stop, you know, she wanted. I wanted to meet and have contact with every person in that uh, in that lineup. So you know, people people really loved her. She had so many ardent followers and readers and scholars and people people in the scientific world. I think there were when she wrote *A Wrinkle in Time*. Um, she instinctively. Had um, understood some of the some of the uh, mysteries of physics, and so I don't know how many of you know *A Wrinkle in Time*, but there's a lot of really interesting, like the word mitochondria. Might, many people would not know what that was, or a tesseract, uh, which is an actual term for a, a wrinkle in time, <laughs> and. Um, so she had, she had her, her intellect 
was really broad, and she loved getting um, new information and then writing about it. And uh, she had a she had a spirit of inquiry, yeah, and create is you know, and that really fed her creativity. Many people loved her so much that she said. I'm glad I'm being loved. I don't want to be adored. <laughs> I think that kind of level of adoration that many people wanted to express to her was, um, it, it, it just felt too much, you know. It, it was too demanding on her emotionally to have that kind of adoration. Everybody had, a, had her on a, on a pedestal, and they didn't know what a real, wonderful, um, <laughs> antsy. Um, um, she could get really angry, too. <laughs> um, in her later years, you know, she was taking a lot of medication, and she, we were, as her friends, we were always told, don't let her drink wine because of this medications. And she would, we'd go take her out to dinner at a restaurant, and she'd immediately <laughs> order wine. <laughs> and uh, eventually we got to um, insisting that she just use seltzer water with cranberry juice, and it sort of looked like wine. <laughs> One of my favorite memories of her at a, rest at a restaurant when she was older and insisted it was just, you know, she had no patience for foolishness. She got less patient with that. It was when you could still smoke in restaurants. And we went to a local restaurant and she started throwing ice at a guy smoking. <laughs> um, <laughs> And then making a face. Um, and <laughs> that was definitely her. <laughs> oh, yes. She, yeah. And whenever we, uh, we traveled together, we had to make sure we got non-smoking uh, accommodations, you know, in motels. It would just, and that was not very common at that point. You know, smoking was so prevalent everywhere. Our grandfather smoked. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, he, he quit when he we did. were little because yeah. we, would, we were enlisted to go find his cigarettes and throw, either throw them away or go find them and say, please, gum. We called him gum. Don't smoke. <laughs> that, was, <laughs> that was short for grumpy old grandpa. That's, <laughs> that was all I could say was gum, so gum stuck. <laughs> um, I, I want to ask you, I want to hear more about Lucy and about your writing and creativity and, and moving from or moving back and forth in between writing your own material and working with others. Um, hmm. And so I'll just, uh, Madeline, our grandmother, would work on a book of fiction and a book of nonfiction and, and, and I think um, moving between genres and modes mm -hmm, was mm -hmm. good for her. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if, if it was the same for you. I think, I think it was. Uh, I, you know, I, I've always written 
poetry just because it sort of arrived in my head and I had to do something with it. Um, uh, but writing essays or writing creative nonfiction of any kind is much, you know, takes much more planning, much more time, much more care. Uh, poems can be kind of floaty, <laughs> airy, <laughs> imaginative, not always easily uh, penetrated or understood. But when you're writing uh, an essay, you've got to write for clarity. And it's a, lot, it's a different discipline. Uh, and I loved to do that because I was fascinated. Uh, we we uh, published so many wonderful poets. And we tried our publishing house. We, we called it Tools for Thoughtful Christians. And we tried to write, um, we had a series of literary biographies of people like Dorothy Sayers, George MacDonald, uh, writers like that, writers of faith, who, um, uh, you, you know, people, people wanted to know about, more about them. So we, we really loved to publish books like that, that it broadened people's, you know, in a very conservative community, there was, there were very few people who were reading poetry when I was writing poetry. It was not a medium that appealed to people. I, it was okay if it rhymed. It was, it was okay if it was a hymn. <laughs> um, but, you know, if, if you were writing free verse, and uh, what are you supposed to do with it? You know, there developed, um, I had, uh, I had the benefit of some editor friends who had who are editors of magazines, and they would let me publish some of my poetry in those magazines. But it was it was a difficult thing um, to publish poetry within the context that I lived in. And and you are still writing poetry, really beautiful poetry, some of which you shared yesterday. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's beautiful to me, too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, hope it's, I hope it's beautiful. I hope what it does is it releases our minds from merely intellectual probing of life and truth and brings it to a place of the spirit and the emotions and the imagination and just frees us from... Uh, the more pedestrian ways of understanding life. Now, and you, you and Madeline wrote a few books together, like um, Friends we, for the Journey, and we did. So, what was that? What was that? Charlotte and well, I that, wrote a book together too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Please tell us about your. Oh no, no. no. <laughs> yeah, we did, and. Um, we, we did several books together. We did a book called, uh, well, Friends for the Journey was a book about, uh, what was it about? I'm forgetting. <laughs> Friends for the Journey? <laughs> your friendship? Yes, it was about, yes, your, it was your about, about our friendship. friendship. And, you know, um, I wanted to call the table, I wanted to call it the table of friendship because we, you know, we sh shared the communion table together. We, she was a great ping pong 
player. <laughs> yes. Um, vicious and, would be the word that I would describe. You know, watching Madeline play ping pong, she would sort of draw herself up like a ship in full sail and <laughs> advance upon the... Uh, she, was, she was magnificent. She had a very strong forehead. In, <laughs> so there, there was that table, and then there's the, uh, we would sometimes pick up sandwiches um, and, and uh, on the, you know, somewhere in Manhattan, and then just eat them in her apartment and uh, at a little table by the wit by her window, which overlooked the Hudson, and um, that was our other. The, those are the three tables that that. Uh, Three of the tables that we enjoyed. <laughs> Madeline was also a wonderful cook. She made, she would make a leg of lamb uh, uh, and, you know, pierce it all over with cloves of garlic and have wonderful gath gatherings of friends um, over for dinner. Uh, and then, fortunately, she had someone come to do the dishes. She Us. Uh, yes. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, so, but but back to friends for the journey. Um, did so was the it the publisher who wanted that title and not table table. I think I think we we made those decisions. Um, yeah, it's a it's a it's a fun little book. It's um, yeah, and our friend Barbara Braver, uh, who was really. We were sort of a Trinitarian friendship. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, Barbara and Madeline and I did a lot of things together. Madeline uh, had a beautiful guest room that Barbara lived in for a number of years uh, as her house guest. Uh, and Barbara worked for the Diocese of New York for the Episcopal Diocese. So um, it was handy for her to be able to be in New York City. Uh, she actually lived in Gloucester on the weekends, but uh, she stayed with Madeline during the week, and that's how I got to meet her. Madeline also went to a church called the Church of All Angels, which was on Broadway. I'm trying to remember. It was near Zabar's. Yes, the 80, it's 81st or 2nd. <laughs> yes. yeah. And it had been a... Um, it had been a... Uh, oh, it was a... An old building that had been a, a hall. What is it? Oh, no, I'm drunk. Anyway, it had uh, it was turned into a church, and Madeline went there, and she I think she was on the vestry there, but she also loved to be there because all kinds of artists and creative people, uh, actors, uh, and street people would gather there for church services, and that was. She just loved to be in a company that was as diverse as that, um, all worshiping God together. Was, uh, and I preached there a number of times at, at their invitation. So it was um, that the rector there, Colin Good, became a very close friend of ours. And he would come over with his wife and some friends, and we would have communion at Madeline's dining room table. The Holy Mysteries. Another table. <laughs> um, so you were her friend, her editor, her co-writer. Um, and co-traveler. And co-traveler. Co 
Um, what can you, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to go light for this next question. So just, I, I want to know, like a favorite memory, when you sort of want to conjure Madeline for you, and it might not be, you're a poet, so it might not be a story. It might be a smell or an image. Um, well, I think that ping pong table <laughs> is something I would n never forget. Uh, Madeline and I also uh, went to a place in Texas called Laity Lodge. Do some of you know La about Laity Lodge? It's a marvelous retreat center. And um, they put on uh, conferences uh, for various groups, and you have to you have to drive along the river to get there. Um, and Madeline loved that, you know, driving in the riverbed uh, till you get to the actual retreat center. And it feels so, it feels, because it's so cut off from civilization, um, it feels so remote uh, and safe. It's safe because you feel like there's no one going to, going to attack you or, or do any damage because of its remoteness. The other wonderful thing about that was that it was so far from any city, so there was no ambient light. And I remember, it, this is maybe one of my favorite memories of Madeline, going up to the, the top of the hill and just looking at the stars because you could see every star. It was like you could see a map, but it was a three-dimensional map. You could see the near stars and the far stars in a way that yeah, I've hardly ever seen, seen like that. And we just felt so attuned with creation at that, in that kind of moment. How we're happy to we're happy to keep going with our questions, but I, I want to know if we need to leave any time for questions from you guys. No, we're good. We're good. Okay, so we're we going to keep, keep going. going. We're going to keep going. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you ever? Um, I know that you guys inspired each other's writing, but did you ever write a poem about Madeline? I, you know, I can't, I can't think of one. I probably did. Um, probably not. <laughs> um, yes, I did write a poem about Madeline, and this is this is very important to me. Uh, in her final weeks of life, Madeline had lost a lot of her cognition, um, and she was in a. She was in a hospice, and Barbara Braver and I flew out to the East Coast to visit her. Was it in, um, it wasn't Torrington, where was it? In, uh, it was in Lich Litchfield. 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 And Madeline didn't recognize us. Uh, we took along some photographs uh, to leave with her so that she would know we had been there if she became, um, you know, awake enough to recognize them. And it was, she had, she was always very polite. She would say, thank you, thank you, 
to anybody who asked her a question or said anything, she would just say, thank you, with her eyes closed. And the only thing that would wake her was that we started singing a hymn. Um, Praise God from whom all blessings flow, something like that. She would join in, even though she couldn't talk and couldn't recognize us. Um, I did go to the woman at the front desk, the receptionist, and said, if Madeline ever wakes up and is able to talk and able to recognize anything, could you call me? Uh, out on the West Coast, and I would love to talk to her again. And it happened. Um, I got this call, I picked it up, and I called back to the hospice house, and there was Madeline. And we talked lucidly for about half an hour about just about everything. She said, why haven't you come to play Scrabble with me? <laughs> So it was, it was a, a moment of pure grace that we were able to, to talk together. Um, and very shortly after that, she did, um, she did die. And I flew out and spent time. There were th three funerals for Madeline. There was one um, for the family, and then there was one at the Congregational Church. And Barbara and I both spoke at that one. And then there was one at the cathedral. And um, it, was, um, it was a wonderful service. And the wonderful thing for me was that Madeline's daughter Josephine read from Walking on Water. That was one of the readings. And that just blessed me very much. Yeah. So. So you, you wrote you wrote one poem about her you, I from, did. from that time when you had visited and Yeah. I th I think I wrote a poem called To the Edge and it was like Madeline had reached the edge of a of a large ocean and she was just about to embark on it and leave us behind. Uh, but she was like a pioneer for many people, um, exploring the intricacies of faith and love and power and literature and imagination. You know, she, uh, Madeline, you know, at, at the end of her life, some of the characters in her books, I think, were more real to her than the, friend, the actual family in France. And, she, you know, there was a, a kind of linkage um, where it was all. Do you want to say something about that, Elena or Charlotte? Yeah, I'm looking actually for a quote, and I'll probably Bye. tear up again. <laughs> um, from Walking on Water. Um, and I, f I found this recently and posted it on Madeline's um, social media because it's about Easter and resurrection. Um, and she says that we are not meant to be as separated as we have become from those who have gone before us and those who will come after. Uh, here we are on the border of the tremendous Christian mystery. Time is no longer a barrier. Um, and 
so time, right, is no longer a barrier. I feel closer to her now mm. than, than I ever have, sort of writing the book I did with my sister, but also talking so much about her recently with the, with the mm. Wrinkling Time movie. That has become so true for me that she's not, she's not gone. She's not gone. She's <laughs> um, here. You know, she's here. She's in the yeah, room with us yes. now. Yes. I feel like I have a different relationship with, um, with her and with, with death, with, um, yeah. with, the myst- with the mysteries. Yeah. Um, because when we wrote the book about her, we included her, her journals, her, her yeah. voice is present. Yeah. So it, yeah. She kept two journals. She kept what she called her day book, remember? Mm-hmm. And she would just jot things in then. She kept a very personal, personal journal, which I think she didn't show to anyone. It was where she could really uh, write about what she was feeling or angry or something like that, and she didn't want other people to uh, be part of that. So, but. Her journals, she was a wonderful journal writer, and her, her handwriting was, I just loved her handwriting. Yeah. And she would uh, sign people's books, and she'd say, Tesser well. That was one of her, <laughs> one of her little greetings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, but you also said about, the, uh, about your poem and about the time there, that, like, uh, that towards the end, her, the characters in her books were becoming even more real to her. Mm-hmm. Is that what you were saying? Yeah. And then, I mean, I think like all along, her characters were so real to her. They were part of her. They were, you know, but part of it, I think, was just writing what she wanted too, like writing her the idealized version of of yeah. of, of what like the Austins and yeah. uh, writing the family that she wanted everybody to have, but she wanted to have. You know, she would say, I remember in her book, The Arm of the Starfish, she would talk about how the magic of an, uh, if a starfish is injured and loses one of its tentacles, it grows back. And, you know, how she applied that, you know, in, uh, the other thing she would say often is, when she was writing a novel, um, these characters just showed up. And she had to do something with them, you know. She did. She wasn't inventing them. Uh, her imagination was so invited. It invited a new people, new characters, new plots. And then, of course, she had to. She, I don't think she ever planned a book ahead of time from beginning to end. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, and that. You know, J.K. Rowling, I think, famously plotted out all seven Harry Potter books yeah. on a napkin in one afternoon. Um, but yeah, so she certainly never, never did that. It was part of her process of listening to the work, observing mm-hmm. listening the, to work. the work. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But she was also so incredibly disciplined. Like she had, <laughs> so I mean, I never met, and I don't think I ever will meet anyone so disciplined. So she had this amazing toolbox and that she yes. was always practicing. She was putting in, you know, she more than 10,000 hours. But, um, yeah. you know, so she, that she was ready when she was called. She had, uh, she, she spoke French 
because in her youth she had been in a in a, a school. Uh, was it in Switzerland or France? Yes, it was yes. an English boarding school in Switzerland. Yeah. But they, right. yes. Um, but she knew words. She knew language. She had um, uh, right in her bedroom. She had uh, an etymological dictionary, and she. I love words too, and I love. Uh, going back and finding the derivation of words, where they've come from, what the original language was, and how it's changed, and why. And we talk words, and she'd reach up and she'd pick up this book, and we'd we'd research where where a, a word originated and how it had changed, and how the meaning sometimes was the same, but that the meaning morphed into something different. So it's the fluidity of language that that I think was fascinating to both of us, and it made us, um, I think, all our writings, um, and my, you know, my writing is very small compared to her oeuvre, which was uh, amazing. She, she pr produced a new book, um, what, like almost every year for, um, um, oh, what's her publisher? Um, <laughs> For 40 years, FSG, Farrah-Strauss-Giroux. Yeah, Farrah-Strauss-Giroux. And they would, t you know, I think they were just waiting almost every year for her new book. They, uh, <laughs> she was, they were her publisher, and they really did a good job of, of um, marketing her books, yeah. So we're, we're coming to the end of our time <laughs> together, um, but I want to... Um, ask one more question and tell one more story about sort of what I remember about how important you were and are to her and to us as a family and to her growth as a writer and a person. Um, and one of, one of my great memories of, the, of an argument Maybe not an argument you had, but sort of a difference that was mm -hmm. that confused her, but that also made her grow. And um, was I think you guys were going to go speak together at um, Vancouver School of Theology, or, or maybe it wasn't that, but it was yeah, some place. Yeah, Vancouver School of Theology, right? Some place where they wanted her to sign a statement of faith, um, and she was outraged <laughs> by some of the terms by some of the terms in that and I I don't remember specifically what I it was probably something about um, atonement and and um, Jesus was crucified to you know I think I the know. atonement was a, was a problem yeah for her. yeah um, and I just I remember her looking at this piece of paper just with just with like anger and sadness and confusion in a way that was that was um, jarring to me because she was in her 70s and um, she seemed so vulnerable to this and I know that you then you guys had a long conversation about that I don't know if that's something that you recall or remember or can can speak about and how if that challenged you in 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 ways, or how you you helped each other with with those issues. Well, I think it was uh, you know we we prayed together, we talked things through. We never sort of 
we never came at an idea or a concept um, with an ironclad sense that we had, <laughs> we understood things. And, and so being able to converse, and I love that word, converse, it, you, it's going back and forth between, it's, it's like a reversal and a conversal where you're both involved in a, in a discussion or a conversation. And um, um, what was the question? <laughs> what was your, I'm sorry. I think it was, it was just, just because to me, sort of part of what makes your, has made your friendship so important and valuable to her was the way that you guys did challenge each other and talk and talk through things. And I was just sort of remembering that one instance where she felt that she, she really needed, she really needed you. But um, she was able to, uh, she trusted you. You were like one of the only people in the world she could unpack those questions mm -hmm. with. So she was outraged by having to sign a testament of faith. Well, she, did, well, she didn't, but, and they, they, yeah. they let her get away with that. I okay, so that. she didn't. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. I guess it was more just asking if you recall that, or just, and Char Charlotte saying that we appreciate that relationship so much that she was able to do that. Because if she did that with us, we're like, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. You know, <laughs> don't sign it. You know? <laughs> She would say what she wanted to say. I mean, she was, she could be shocking and outspoken. Um, but, uh, you know, people, I had to do, I had to tell one story about <clears throat> a wrinkle in time. Um, and I know talking about the film could be a whole nother topic and we don't have time for that. But <clears throat> my, young daughter, uh, who was in elementary school uh, when we were living in West Chicago. Um, the, the elementary school was just across the fence from our house. And they were reading A Wrinkle in Time in their class. And uh, Chris stood up and said, oh yeah, there's Madeline. She was walking down our front path. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, she was very, uh, much a part of our family, and uh, um, my daughter Chris particularly loved Madeline. Uh, we loved visiting her and just being around her. Um, we, you know, the the marvel, the magic of the telephone, where we could actually pray together over the phone. We wrote a book called. Um, prayers for spiritual friends, and it was it, it sort of talked about common subjects for prayer. Um, you know, like uh, praying for a friend who was dying, or praying for a particular financial need, or something like that. And then there was a sort of a dialogue of prayer in in the book, and I think the book is still in print. Uh, from Knox, uh, John Knox Press. But that was a book that we worked on together. And um, um, that's uh, one of the ways that we connected the most deeply was, was these prayers over the phone. <laughs> well, we love you, Lucy. And we just thank you so much for, oh. 
for everything, for that deep friendship, for being here, for being in our lives. And, and, and love you. Thank you to so, all and of you. Thank you all for coming. Thank you. We're so grateful we got to host this conversation by Lucy Shaw, Lena Roy, and Charlotte Jones Voicless at the last festival. Our profound thanks to them. We're excited to have Charlotte Jones Voicless return to Calvin on November 30th to help us commemorate her grandmother, Madeline LaIngle's centenary year. Check out our website for full details. Rewrite Radio is a production of the Calvin Center for Faith and Writing located on the campus of Calvin College in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Theme music is June 11th by Andrew Starr. You can find more information about the center and its signature event, the Festival of Faith and Writing, online at ccfw.calvin.edu and festival.calvin.edu and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Subscribe to Rewrite Radio on iTunes and leave us a review to help others find this podcast. Thanks so much for listening and stay tuned for more from the Festival Archives.